Well, let me add my good morning and welcome to you. Uh, this morning, so good to have you uh, here uh, with us. Well, just as our uh, sermon bumper um, was sharing there, that we are in a series that is about the Christmas characters or the people that were really involved uh, in the Christmas story. Uh, if you look in the Gospel of Luke and Matthew, uh, we can see that uh, there are many people uh, that uh, are involved uh, in uh, the birth of Christ. It's not just Mary, Joseph, uh, and Jesus. And so last week, we actually looked at a couple that uh, maybe sometimes are kind of left out or looked over in Elizabeth and Zachariah, and we saw the hope uh, that is in their story. And uh, as we were talking about with the Advent wreath, we're going to look at the shepherds today and consider the joy uh, that is a part of the story uh, of these uh, shepherds uh, that are in uh, the Christmas um, story. And of course, this is the season of Advent. And we said last week how Advent meant arrival or coming. And so this has been uh, the practice of the church for many, many years that they would use this time of Advent as that anticipation and looking towards the, the birth of Christ, but not only looking at it as a historical event some 2,000 years ago, but that the church would also use it as a time of anticipation and preparation because what we know is that Christ is coming again. Uh, we know that it won't be uh, in a manger. What we know from the biblical text is that it will be upon clouds. Uh, and he will be ready uh, to uh, bring his children home. Um, and so we're looking forward to that, anticipating that. So we're going to look at this text in Luke chapter 2 and then ask three questions. Uh, where did the shepherds know where to go? How does this baby bring such great joy? And then are we willing to be modern day Shepherds, And so if you have your device, your Bible, you want to join with me in Luke chapter 2. I think we'll have the verses up here. Uh, I know it's a story that is familiar, but to, as I read the text, would you just ask the Lord uh, to give you something new, to speak uh, something new in this text? You know, the, the danger of Christmas is that we come to these familiar texts and we almost go on autopilot saying, I know everything about these shepherds and about this baby. <laughs> you know, there's just, I don't know what's really new for me. Well, pray and ask God to give you something new this morning. Let's begin at uh, verse 8 of Luke chapter 2. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those whom his favor rests. Verse 15, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. 
And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about the Christ child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Well, I know that as we go over this text, obviously the angels are at the heart of it and this interaction with the shepherds, but we're going to save the angels for next week, if that's okay, and really focus on these shepherds. Who were they and what were they doing exactly? Well, in the first few verses of Luke chapter 2 is the birth of Christ. And so now we have where an angel comes to these shepherds and says, we, I want you to see this baby uh, that has been born. Now, there's a couple of things I want to know about these shepherds. The first was right in the first few words of, uh, with verse, chapter, or verse 8. It says, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And so what we know is that these shepherds are not very far from the place of birth of Jesus. Now, a lot of times when we look at the Christmas story, there's, there's a few journeys to it, right? You, you have the journey um, of, of Mary to Elizabeth. You have the, the journey of Mary and Joseph from Nazareth to uh, Bethlehem because of the census. You have the journey of the Magi. But the shepherds don't have much of a journey. They're actually, as the text says, kind of nearby. And that's really important. The other thing that we know is that they're not just shepherds that have flocks. But as it says, is that these are shepherds who keep watch. Now that's a little bit of a distinction that we're going to find out a little bit more uh, how that is uh, in just, just a few moments. Um, and then as we continue, you have the interaction with the angels. And today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Now, this is very, very interesting. Um, because what Luke writes here, you know, and, and what is communicated to these shepherds is that, you know, this one is born in the town and then later says the city of David. And so now we know uh, that it is Bethlehem that becomes the central focus for the Christmas story. The reason I say that is to contrast that to Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem is the main place, right? Jerusalem is where the temple and where the worship is. And so what we have here is this kind of... Um, how do I say it, this very similar aspect to the story where just as David, born and raised in Bethlehem, eventually becomes this large ruler, in fact, the central figure, really, uh, in Israel's history, um, is David, who comes from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. And so here the angels say, there's now someone else that's going to take that journey from Bethlehem to Jerusalem, and it's this baby that's born um, in Bethlehem, that he will come and he will rule and reign in Jerusalem. 
of course, we know that he will rule and reign in uh, the Jerusalem. Now, there's a couple of things um, that really kind of guide the shepherds then. Because um, here's what we know is that there are prophecies about his birth. Um, and then even, uh, I want to kind of help you a bit with Bethlehem and then also uh, another place. Uh, in Genesis chapter 35, verses 19 to 21, because all of this comes in to the Christmas story, especially as it relates to the shepherds. It says in Genesis 35, 19, 21, So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrah, that is Bethlehem. Over her tomb, Jacob set up a pillar, and to this day that pillar marks Rachel's tomb. Israel moved on again and pitched his tent beyond Migdal Ader. Now you might be thinking like, okay, I mean, I think I've read that before. That doesn't, you know, kind of strike me all that much. But what this is really setting up here uh, is actually these places and the correlation between Bethlehem and Migdal Ader. And so we know that Migdal Ader is a place that is close by to Bethlehem. Migdal Ader is a place that is, is the watchtower for the flock. And so it's actually a, a tower that, that stood uh, for a very, very long time. We then have these other prophecies that talk about Bethlehem and that help us in this notion. Micah 4.8 As for you, watchtower of the flock, so now here we go with the Migdal Ader kind of place, the stronghold of the daughter Zion, the former dominion will be restored to you. Kingship will come to your daughter Jerusalem. And then in Micah 5.2, it says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrah, though you were small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who be the ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old and of ancient times. And so here's what we know, is that you have Jerusalem, right? And then about five miles south is Bethlehem. And then about one mile back up towards Jerusalem, is this Migdal Ader. And so the Migdal Ader is the watchtower of the flock. And so here we're learning in Micah that it's actually in this place just outside of Bethlehem, the Migdal Ader is where you will find this newborn king. Let's close it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay? So now we've got it like really, really specific. So what's the big deal about the Migdal Ader? Well, the, the Migdal Ader is the place that's the watchtower for the flock. Do you remember how I said it was, you know, going towards Bethlehem but then back up to Jerusalem? Well, it's really, really important because the Migdal Ader or the watchtower of the flock was also the place that held the manger. Now, if you remember, what they were also being told is that they would be going to the manger and they would see this baby with swaddling cloths. So let's take a look at some of that. The swaddling cloths would actually be, they're, they're very distinctive cloths, but they would be, after a priest would be serving uh, in the temple for a while, uh, about a week or a week or two at a time, and then they would come out 
what would happen is, is that they wouldn't use those garments again. They were just that holy, and so they began to rip them into cloths. Now, where is Mary getting swaddling cloths? Do you remember last week and where she visited? Right? Probably most likely from Elizabeth and Zechariah. She probably said, you're having a baby. You're going to need these, right? And so now they find this baby who actually has these swaddling cloths, these priestly pieces of robe that they're wrapped in in the manger. Now, the manger is actually not a manger, but it's the manger. And this is really how the shepherds knew right where to go. Because the manger here is the fatne. Now, oh, we don't have a manger up here, but, you know, if you have one, we have one by our, our Christmas tree, but I know we've got a couple around for the live nativity, but those little things that, you know, we'd like to lie the baby Jesus in, right? That would be a manger, and what that would be the place of feeding, where you'd put the food in for the animals, and that sounds great, doesn't it? I mean, that they would probably take one little thing, and it always works in the nativity scenes, doesn't it? Where you put some hay in there, and you lay the baby in, and you're like... Hey, that worked. That probably was it, you know. Hey, Joseph was a carpenter. If he didn't have one, he maybe made one, right? And there, and then just left it there. But actually, in the text here is the manger, the fatne, which is actually not a manger at all, but it's actually the birthing stall. So now we know that this Jesus is born in the birthing stall of the Migdal Ader. Do you remember when I said that? Why do... Why does the movie Cars always come into mind when I think of Big Doll Ader? Is it, what, is it Tomater? Is that, is that what it is? Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry. Back. Whew, man. The EH, you know, whatever I got, you know, sometimes creeps in here. Back to the Migdal Ader. So the Migdal Ader was actually the watchtower for the flock. You see, the Migdal Ader was where they held and birthed in the birthing stall the lambs that were used in the Passover sacrifices at the temple. And so these shepherds were really nearby because I think they were ones that were the Levites that worked at Migdal later, who were called out by this great light from the angels and then sent right back <laughs> to the Migdal later. Because there was born, in this birthing stall, where all the other Passover lambs are born, is now this baby who is Jesus. Now that is significant, isn't it? Because we actually have a couple places. Let me catch up with my notes here. Because this is what we know, right? John the Baptist says in John 1.29, the next day John saw Jesus coming towards him. So John's in the midst of his ministry. Jesus is coming. So Jesus is coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. For Peter, he mentions in 1 Peter 1.19, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. Boy, that's so true. 
right? Our perishable things do not save us. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And then Paul writes, 1 Corinthians 5, 17, for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been crucified. And so how was it or where, how was it that these shepherds knew right where to go? Because they knew it was right back to this birthing stall, this place where the Passover lambs were born, that this stall now held a baby. <laughs> now, they probably didn't know fully the story that he once would be crucified here for all of our sins. He would be the last Passover lamb we would ever need. But all they know now is that this precious spot is where he was born, just like all the other lambs that were sacrificed for our sins. And so this is where he is, and this is where the shepherds head right back to and see this young mom and this young man, this young dad, and this precious little baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. Now, the other question, the next question I want to ask is what is the cause, you know, what is it about this baby that brings such great joy? Because that was part of the angel's proclamation here, right? Is that we have something to tell you that is going to bring joy to the world. Not just a few people, you know. I mean, we, we all, I mean, don't we all, in, don't we all enjoy babies, right? I mean, how, how do you not come up to a baby and not smile, you know? I mean, I mean to me, like, like every baby is such a miracle. You know, like before I was studying for the ministry, I, I was in the pre-med process at Houghton College. And I thought it would be very interesting. I was very interested in math and science. And then I got to Houghton College and got in the pre-med program. And I'm, now I'm taking courses like um, science through the eyes of God. And, and I'm learning all about science and the way that we're made and all of these things. And it just upped my praise and wonder and amazement of God, you know? Like, that's the way it is when we see a baby. But this baby would bring this great joy. Let me share with you a couple of verses if I could. John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whomever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I mean, that's joy, right? <laughs> I mean, this baby who was born in this birthing saw, this Passover lamb is about to save us all, all who will follow. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Oh, now I'm, I'm starting to see at the, the football games again, John 3, 16. Have you been seeing this? Or I don't know how they're getting those in, because it seemed like those signs were all over when I was growing up, and then I haven't seen them for a long time, and now I'm starting to see them again. I saw it last week, a guy's kicking a field goal, right in the middle is this bright yellow, John 3, 16, I'm telling you, I looked at the screen and I said, and 17, you know. <laughs> 
Why don't we do John 3, 16 and 17? Right? Because this baby who was born in the manger is because God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. You have to know that the motivation of this Passover lamb being in this birthing soul is because God's love for you is so great that he didn't even spare his own son. Ah, man. It touches me because I, I think about my own sons, and maybe you do too. It's God so loved the world. And if that's not enough, because he sent his son in the world, not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And so God doesn't send his son so that we'll look at this perfect example and we'll just feel condemned for our sins. That, you know, to, to make us feel terrible. You know, to show us a holy standard that we're not even close to with our lives. But that's not why Jesus came. He came not to condemn us of our sins, not just to expose our sins, thankfully, but to forgive us of our sins. But to forgive us our sins and to save us unto eternal life. That's why this baby is here. That's why this baby is in this birthing stall. He's the last Passover lamb that's going to die for our sins and give us a way to eternal life. Now, if that doesn't bring a certain amount of joy to your heart, I'm not sure what else I can do. <laughs> right? I mean, that's why this is the message of joy. And that's why, you know, like, like this is what we carry, right? Like, this is who we are now, is that we have this chance to tell people that this baby and these wonderful songs that you hear playing in the department store, and the reason we're opening all these great gifts on this one morning, I'm telling you, you know, I didn't come to Christ till a little bit later in my life, 16, 17, but I will tell you that I had many Christmases that held great joy up until that point. <laughs> my, my parents, they love Christmas. I think that's one of the reasons why I, um, you know, I, I held on to so much of the, uh, the, the toys in my childhood, you know. Uh, I actually, I have enough where I can do a, a, a He-Man room and a Star Wars room and a G.I. Joe room once the kids are gone. Not that I have plans, um, you know. But my, my parents, did, you know, just did Christmas big, and there was a lot of joy. But I'm telling you, when I came to know Christ... There was no Christmas that held the joy that Christ held when I knew him and knew that I was saved and that I had an opportunity to be saved of my sins. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Yeah, so true. We have now this new birth where we can be brand new. We don't have to sin in thought, word, and deed every day. We can live a new life that is free in Christ, that now lives up this living hope. 1 Corinthians 15, 22 to 20 to 22 
says, but Christ has indeed has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all died, so in Christ all will be made alive. Amen. Right? Remember how we said last week how he's the fulfillment of that first fruits uh, offering, uh, holy days, that festival that they celebrated, right, in, in the Jewish faith, that his resurrection was the fulfillment of that first fruits offering because his resurrection was going to be the first because all of us follow him in this resurrection. Because in the, all in the same way that we died and were dead in our sins through Adam, through Jesus, we are made alive. If you don't get a little bit of joy, I'm not sure I can help you. <laughs> this is Christmas. This is the message of Christmas. This is the joy of Christmas. And so it brings me to my third question. Are you willing to be modern-day shepherds? Let me read the text just a little bit again so we bring us back full circle. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Remember, these shepherds were probably the Levite shepherds who took care of the Passover lambs. And they knew that they were waiting on a Messiah. They were waiting on a Savior. And finally, He has come. <laughs> Makes you wonder, doesn't it? That <laughs> it's because it says the shepherds took off and they just had to tell everybody about this little baby born in the birthing stall. Did you, do you wonder, did they take off because they don't think they have work anymore? You know? <laughs> They're like, oh, well, okay. Here He is, Jesus. He's here. He's born. He's the last sacrifice. Ah, no more Passovers. Okay. You know? <laughs> right? That's the end of our job. I got to find something else to do, I guess. You know? But what they did is, right, they, they just couldn't help it. They had to tell people about this child who was born in the Migdal or the birthing stall of the Passover lambs. And he would be the last one that would need to be born for the forgiveness of all of our sins. The reason I encourage you and challenge you maybe even a bit to ask if you're going to be a modern-day shepherd is because of some of the final words of Jesus. In Matthew 28, 16 to 20, it says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so my challenge to you to be modern day shepherds is not just my challenge, but I believe it's Jesus' challenge to us all. Will we take the message of this great joy and just start to move out like these shepherds, telling everybody about this story, that this Savior has been born. This Savior has been born. This bondage and the ugliness 
and the, the deadness that you feel in this world, you don't have to bear, you don't have to carry that anymore. You can come to Christ, the one born at Migdal Eater, because he will save you from your sins. Now, I want to encourage you. I know that I've kind of said it before. I don't want you to make it all that more complicated than this. But do me a favor if you've never done it. Write down your life before Christ. Your life when you met Christ. And your life since you met Christ. Because I will tell you that, you know, going on through college and seminary degree and having majoring in Bible and taking all of these philosophy courses, I want to tell you that sharing Christ for 98% of the opportunities I've had to do it has been telling what a difference Christ has made in my life. I haven't had to get into 15 reasons why you should follow Jesus or, you know, get into the deep field, uh, you know, the, the arguments of the faith, you know, uh, whatever, the philosophies and, you know, just, just all of that, you know, the apologetics. I mean, yes, that stuff is important to know, but I want to tell you is that you don't have to have all that straight to just tell people that there's a Savior that's been born who has forgiven you of your sins and has a new life with great hope that's available to you. Let us pray together. Well, I feel like what would be better is maybe even just to start with the invitation in this moment. That maybe you, you've never thought about Maybe you've, maybe you've thought about the birth of Christ, but you've never thought about the why. But you see, he was born in the Migdal later, the birthing stall of the Passover lambs, because one day he would go to the cross, and in that way he would be our sacrifice for all of our sins. He takes them all away. That's the good news and the great news of Christmas. And so if you've never, never actually taken that step and said, Jesus, would you forgive my sins? I want to tell you that it is very simple. He has not made it complicated. He doesn't make it going to church for years or giving a certain amount of money or attending certain classes. But it's a prayer from your heart to his. And so for those of you that have said this prayer, would you just pray for others in the room and online right now? Maybe this is your moment. Maybe this is your Christmas where Christ comes and is the center and is the one who dies for your sins. Just say these simple words after me. Dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I ask, oh Lord, that you would be my leader. And I ask for this moment forward that I might now follow you. That I too might spend eternity in heaven with you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. And so, Lord, 
we now all come and we pray, oh God, that you would infuse us with the joy of Christmas. We, we confess, Lord, sometimes we've sought that joy in other things, <laughs> in very perishable things. And yet, God, we know that you're the true source of all of our joy. God, we have so much to be grateful for, to be thankful for, to be joyful for because of what you have done and done in our lives. And we are just so thankful for the great joy that you give us all. It's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray.